What's up, everybody in the room, everybody joining us online, wherever you were tuning in from, all the different 11 Ports Live locations, we are continuing this series on Ephesians. And I am so excited to introduce who will be teaching tonight. This is, candidly, a night that uh, I've been really excited and praying for for a while and am thrilled to get to introduce you to a friend of ours. You may know him, and some of you do, but even if you don't, even if you're listening later on the podcast or you're listening at the different 11 locations, your life has been influenced and impacted by him. And I'm going to welcome him here in a second. And the reason I say that and can't say that is because he is one of the five elders in leadership at this church. In other words, it is directly connected to the leaders that God has here, a few of them who are here, so we can welcome all of them here in a second. And their generosity and belief in what God is doing through the lives of young adults in our generation that has enabled us to make Tuesday nights happen and enables us to stream to 11 different locations in the resource and to support. And so will you help me welcome Mickey Friedrich, one of our elders who is teaching tonight and walking us through Ephesians chapter five. Thanks brother. Thanks David. All right. Well, it really is a joy to be here with y'all tonight. Uh, The porch, God has used the porch to stretch and disciple me for years. And uh, I'm just grateful for the privilege to, to be with you tonight. And my wife is here as well. I'd like to show you a picture of the best part of me, and that's my family. Um, I've been married to my wife, Jessica, here in a few days. It'll be 17 years. And uh, I know there's no way it looks like she's old enough to be married that long, and I agree. Um, but I would just like to thank her because she was instrumental in getting me to a place to be able to share this message. There's some personal things that I'll be sharing. And I've walked this journey with her and she's a big part of that. And then we have four kids. We have uh, Goldie who's six, Bay and Knox in the middle, and then Mila who's 17. So we have a lot of fun, a lot of energy in our house. Now we're in the middle of a series uh, called Indu- Introducing the New You. And whenever I was eight years old, uh, I'll share more of my story later, but whenever I was eight years old, I was adopted by a man named Fred Friedrich. My mom married him. Him and his family adopted me into their family. And when you're adopted, many things change. And uh, you know, I received a new name. We moved to a new town. I got new friends, uh, but not all of it was an easy transition. Uh, for one, I had to figure out how to spell this new name. My previous name was shorter and I had it from birth, so it was easier. This name, I didn't even know how to say it, whether it was Friedrich or Frederick, and there's still some uncertainty there. But I went to class and you know you have to write your name on the paper and I, my dad gave me this mnemonic, but it's spelled fried rich. So even now, whenever I tell people, hi, my name's Mickey Friedrich, how do you spell that? I try to use fried rich. Um, and I also, I had to learn that there was a different organization at school. You see, my first last name was Adler, starts with A. My middle name's Aaron, starts with two A's. And so any line there was in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, I pretty much got close to the front of the line. But whenever I got the name Friedrich, I had to get used to being in the middle of the line, and I didn't like that. So new identities come with a lot of new changes. Tonight, we're going to jump into Ephesians 5. And... uh, In it, we're gonna learn about the new us, who we are in Christ, what that looks like. Um, And sometimes whenever I read passages like Ephesians 5, I can struggle. 
because I hear what my new identity is, but sometimes I can feel like a fraud. And, uh, you know, I know things like I'm a child of the king, I'm beloved, I've been made new, but sometimes I can have conflicting feelings. And we'll dive into that a little bit tonight. But open your Bibles to Ephesians 5, or read it however you have it, and we'll jump in. I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. Paul wrote this to the Ephesians and said, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints." Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are all out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Lord, just please help us to understand your word. Help us to hear your spirit as you speak to us tonight. And just please guide us through this time tonight. Thank you for your love. Amen. So, how do these words make you feel? Those are quite a few verses, a lot of different things. What do you feel when you hear words like that? You see, like I mentioned, I can have some conflicting emotions whenever I read verses like this. You know, I read verse one where it says, hey, be imitators of God as beloved children. I see some things to do there and walk in love as Christ gave himself up for us. But then we get get to verses like verse three and I read it and it says, but sexual immorality and impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. Well, here's the problem. That, along with filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking, that's who I was. I know that. I have a new identity. But what if I feel like that's who I still am? You know, I know what I'm supposed to feel. I know my identity is as a beloved child of God. But what if I'm still feeling or drawn to those very words that Paul's listing in verses three and four? And I don't think I'm alone in feeling these conflicting feelings. You know, we can know who we're supposed to be and then we can wake up in the morning and realize we just did that again. Whether it was crossing boundaries with our boyfriend or girlfriend, whether it was giving in to porn in the middle of the night for all the reasons that made sense to us that night. But then in the morning, we just realized, wow, I made that choice again. We said we'd never go back to those things, those images, those habits, those people. 
and yet we do it again. And so we read a verse like this, all sexual immorality, all impurity, all covetousness, and we can just hear the Spirit speaking to us. And then we go to the next verses. It just says the sexually immoral, the impure, the covetousness, the idolater, they have no inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. And then I can start to think, hey, do I really even fit in with the people of God? I mean, I fear rejection. I feel like I could be rejected. I'm doing the very things that God's saying could cause me to have no inheritance. Now we know once we're saved, once we surrender to Jesus Christ that we're his child and we're his child forever. But raises a lot of questions and feeling emotions. And here's the other thing. We can focus on the things that we're doing now, the reality that we're living in now, but there's a whole lot of years lived in each one of our pasts that can also bring up feelings and conflicting emotions in that moment. You see, many of us were abused growing up. Things happened to us, it wasn't what we did, but it was what we've had to carry with us. And that can bring up conflicting emotions and feelings. We can wonder, is it our fault? And then maybe we acted out at different periods in our past and we just don't have categories for that. We don't know how to process it. We don't know how that identity fits with this identity because it still feels like there's something there. We can ask each other, we can ask ourselves questions. Was I an abuser? Am I gay? I still feel like an addict? Those feelings are there sometimes and we have to process them. And then we go on to verse eight where it says, at one time you were darkness. But so often I can still feel that darkness inside of me. And then it says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. But what about those free passes we keep giving ourselves? What about that sin that we're continuing to coddle, that sin that we're continuing to hide, giving ourselves free pass after free pass? What about where it says, take no part? What about in verse 12 where it says, it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret, even to speak of the things that I still want to do in secret. It is shameful. I think we know that feeling well. You see, it's really important what we do when we feel like a fraud. And it's a reality for many, many believers, even after we've known Jesus, been walking with him for a while. And there's different things that we can revert back to, and I'm speaking about my own experience here. See, the first thing that I wanna do is just fake it till I make it. Hey, I see the standards that God has laid out in verses like first part of Ephesians 5, and I just try to make my life look like that to everybody on the outside. I just wanna fake it until I make it and then hopefully Jesus will save me through some miracle and continue to transform me. But the problem is that doesn't work. And so what do we do then? We try harder and that doesn't work. So what do we do then? We try harder. And where does that leave us? That leaves us right back where we started, even more shamed, even more convinced that we're an outsider, we're unworthy. We really don't get what we claim to get about our new identity in Christ. So what do we do then? We deny our feelings. We deny God's standards. We deny the need to do anything but just conform. Hey, if I can just get the outside to look right, then I've got time for the inside. We can also run. We can run from anything that reminds us of who we really are. We can run to 
the things that help us forget. We can run from relationships. I talked to quite a few of you that you get, you meet the woman, you meet the man, it's great, it's going forward, and then you just get to a certain level of intimacy and you just run. You don't wanna be known because if you, get, if, you, if you become known, then they may reject you. So it's easier just to push them away and not have to deal with that possible rejection. We can fear intimacy. We can be hesitant to trust because of how we've been wounded in the past because life hasn't always been a safe place. We can excuse. We can compare ourselves to others who are doing worse stuff than we really wanna do. Hey, we can excuse ourselves and go to a different body of believers that aren't gonna raise such high standards of God's word and call us to faithfulness in the way that we do in places like this. And then finally, we can cope. We can do anything but face the reality that's in front of us. We can numb out on social media. We can eat, run to releases, seemingly releases like porn, like work, like unhealthy relationships. You see, there's more going on underneath the surface than we can ever imagine inside of us. And it matters more than we ever imagine. And if we ignore it, we forfeit the wholeness that is available to us in Christ. We don't have to stay here. And here's the thing, I am a beloved child of God, Ephesians 5.1. And no matter what, if we've surrendered to Jesus, that's the reality of who we are. And here for a moment, I would like to share just a little bit of my story with you, to share my journey um, that's still going on. So as we mentioned, my name's Mickey, uh, my middle name's Aaron, my dad was a baseball coach, and he named me after two baseball players, Mickey Mantle and Hank Aaron. And we did a lot of stuff together growing up in the early years, spent a lot of time on the team bus at games, chopping firewood, uh, out at the farm with him and my grandpa. Um, and then I came home from kindergarten one day, I walked up to the backyard, or to my front yard, had my, had my backpack on, and uh, it was after school, and I saw my dad had the red trailer that we always used to chop firewood and stack it in. He had it filled up with his stuff, and it was attached to the back of his blazer. I said, man, what's going on, Dad? He said, Mickey, I've just gotta leave. And he did. It turns out he wasn't faithful to my mother. Uh, it turns out he probably hadn't been for a while. And he decided that the life that he wanted to live involved another woman. And so he left my mother. He left me at the age of six. He left my uh, baby sister who was six weeks old. And he married this other woman and started a new, not, a new life. And so at this point, um, I got to feel abandonment. I still had my mom. She's awesome. Um, but I felt that abandonment. This man who had a, what I felt like was a deep relationship and just exit my life. Now I would still see him on the weekends once in a while and I would go spend time with him and his new family. And the thing was the woman he married wasn't really a big fan of me. And so uh, she had two sons as well. They were older, older stepbrothers of mine. And so whenever I was over there, I would you know, see things. I would, I would have a concern. I would have a need. And it, it just felt like everything always got thrown back on me. It was always my fault. Even when her sons did something, it was always my fault. And so I got to start to feel a deep sense of rejection. It wasn't a safe place. Every time I was over there, I just wanted to leave. It was not a safe place. And then those two older brothers, um, I'm sure they were going through their stuff too, but uh, they like to beat up on me a little bit. So whether it was just 
playing games around or doing different things. It just felt like I always ended up with the bruises and the tears. And it resulted in, in different times of what I would call physical abuse. One example is we were out playing football in the snow and we were ways away from the house and I was six or seven and I was wearing jeans and the jeans got all wet. And they decided like the most fun we could have was for one of them to hold me down and another one just take sticks and just thrash my legs. And those of y'all that have been hit with wet jeans on know it's, it's not very much fun. I healed from that, but you know what didn't heal? Was that deep sense of powerlessness that comes from being held down and beaten like that. What didn't heal was the rage inside of knowing I may be little, but I matter. That rage of having pain that I didn't know what to do with. And here's what else happened during those years. Sometime during those years, I was sexually abused by two older family members. One, a man, one, a woman. And what that did is it opened doors that shouldn't have been opened that early. It exposed me to things that I shouldn't have been exposed to. And I received a, dent, a, a deep sense of being damaged. I didn't know what through the rest of elementary, I didn't know what to do with those feelings that had been awoken. I didn't know what to do just with the fact that this happened. And when we pick up things like that at an early age, they stick with us. And then one day at the age of eight, a man named Fred walked into our lives. You know, the season wasn't bad. It wasn't even largely bad. See, I got to see my mom's faith through all of those years, how she would play the piano. She would sing praises to God. She would remind me of what's true. She sacrificed for me and my sister. She went back to school to finish her college degree. I got to see the deep, enduring love of my mom. And then she married Fred whenever I was eight. Him and his parents adopted me and my sister into their family. I got to experience what adoption was, where I got to experience things that I didn't even have words for back then, but unconditional love, unmerited favor. They said, Mickey, you are a Friedrich as if you were a Friedrich whenever you came out of the womb at the delivery room. For the rest of my life, I've gotten to enjoy life as a Friedrich, fully loved by them in ways that I can't even describe. I also got to experience being invested in. You see, Fred started teaching me what it meant to be a man. He taught me what it was like to work hard what it was like to have integrity, how to treat people right, how to deal with life when we mess up. I learned that I was worth investing in and it mattered. Had about six good years, great years. And then one night my dad, Fred, uh, was a football coach, wrestling coach, all that stuff. We got back from a football game one night in December and it was about midnight, him and my mom were in the living room. I was in my room reading and I just heard my mom shriek. And I ran in the living room and Fred, my father was having a massive heart attack right there on the couch. So we pull him down into the floor, we call 911, we get the cops coming and my dad died in my arms that night on the floor. You see, they took him to the hospital, couldn't bring him back. Um, so just first thought, just abandonment right there. <sighs> Happened again. A lot to process. But that wasn't it. You see, 
I'm an Eagle Scout. And the reason I'm an Eagle Scout is because Fred was an Eagle Scout. And that was one of the big things that we did together. We spent so much time together in the woods, learning all this stuff. I was trained to do CPR. But when he needed me most, right there in my arms on the floor, I froze. I was in shock. I couldn't move. I was freaked out by what the body does whenever it starts to shut down. And I could not bring myself to do CPR. And I failed it. And I had to carry that. I didn't invite others into it. But what I did do is I entered into a deep season of rebellion. You see, I was saved at the age of six. I came forward with what I believe is the faith of a child. Saw some friends getting baptized, came down, asked questions, talked with the pastor. I gave the right answers, accepted Jesus, I was baptized. But a lot of my childhood, I kind of spent in neutral. Had some times when I was running after Jesus. But most of the time I was in neutral. And from this point forward, I live mostly in rebellion. And from that time forward, I just remember, I'll give you some words that kind of describe that time in my life. Um, rebellion, guilt, anger, insecurity, shame, pride, fear, coping. So this is most of high school and uh, most of college. It resulted in substance abuse, improper relationships, uh, a lot of fighting. Whenever I just had emotions I couldn't handle, I didn't know what they were, I would just lash out. And then when I went to college, I did things like played, rog uh, played rugby, uh, rodeo, it put me in a lot of uh, scenarios where I was just able to just continue to pursue the flesh and respond in these destructive ways. I was at a bar so often, they asked me to work there, started bouncing at a bar. In my life, I was running towards everything that I thought was gonna bring life, relief, anything that could do all the things that I described before, deny, cope, run from, anything that was gonna make that pain more real, run towards everything that was gonna deaden that pain. All I got was more pain. All I got was more destruction in my life and in the lives of anybody that was close to me. And continued to approach death. You see, I started waking up in the morning and just thinking, oh my goodness, how am I waking up right now? There's no way I should have lived through what just happened last night. Or I would wake up and have to go pick my friends up out of jail or see the consequences that were showing up in their life. And all through this time, I felt the call of the spirit. That's why I do believe I was saved at the age of six because I, I was never free from the conviction of the Holy Spirit during this time. And I got to the spring of 2002. I was a senior in college, my fourth year. It took me five years because I was an, an idiot in college. But uh, the spring of 2002, I just got so desperate. I felt the Spirit telling me, like, I've, for some reason, I've been protecting you, Mickey, from the consequences of your decisions and your rebellion. But there's no guarantee that protection is going to continue. And I just had the fear of God fall on my heart. I was desperate. I was living out what I know now is Proverbs 14, 12 that says, there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. 
And so there I am, spring of 2002. I was drunk. I was in my room. I remember looking in the mirror in my bathroom, just knowing this is real. And I felt the spirit just calling me. I felt the spirit say, Mickey, come home. Mickey, open up my word. You see, that was a problem. Because in my rebellion, I had found reasons to not even believe that the Bible was true. For one, I read the Old Testament and there's men being affirmed, seemingly being affirmed for all the things that I was being told I couldn't do. David, Abraham, all these guys that had relationships, they haven't even killed somebody. And yet he's a man after God's own heart. So many questions that I couldn't answer. And, and here's the thing, whenever I had questions, I thought that it was just because I didn't have enough faith. I didn't know there was anything like apologetics. I didn't know we all have those questions at times. I couldn't, under, I couldn't explain creation, there were just so many. So I had come to this place where I just said, God, I just can't believe your word, it's not true, I'm not opening it. And I heard the, I didn't hear, I felt the spirit just kind of saying like, yeah, I know, I know. Just open, just open my word one more time. And so I did. I opened it up, started reading it in Genesis, read through Exodus, a couple other books, got to the boring parts of the Old Testament, jumped to the New Testament, started reading in the Gospels. And at some point, I just started reading with eyes of faith. I still couldn't answer my questions. I still couldn't even say why I had faith, why I believed this book. But the Spirit just met me there. I knew without a doubt that Jesus lives, that he's my Savior. He died for me and there was a life that I wasn't experiencing, but I could. And from that night, from that season, Jesus has had me on a trajectory towards him. It's 20 years now. I just celebrated 20-year anniversary this last spring of that transition. And it hasn't been perfect. It hasn't always been pretty, but the Spirit keeps calling. But even after that, that evening in 2002, you see, God did miraculous things in my life that night. Out of those words that I described earlier, that rebellion was gone. That guilt, Jesus reminded me that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, reminded me that that guilt was gone. But everything else was still right there. The anger, the insecurity, the shame, the pride, the fear, the coping. I mean, I was living right in the middle of what we were looking at in Ephesians 5. All of those words. Jesus had delivered me, but it still felt like I was there. And that brought up all of those other emotions. Sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, filthiness, impure, darkness, shameful. See, I still felt like a fraud. There was a difference between what I should feel and what I did feel. There were questions I still didn't have answers for. There was pain that I couldn't stop. There was shame. It felt like a constant drip of poison. You know, and here's another thing too. I knew my way was broken, my way of rebellion, the fighting, the anger, the, all the destructive behavior, but I didn't know what a man looked like. I really didn't know. I didn't know what a man of God looked like. So I just had to take my best shot. And so I settled at a persona of something like Mr. Rogers. Not exactly, I do like sweaters, but not exactly like Mr. Rogers, 
but this weak, pacified, emasculated vision of a man. Because I didn't know what to do with all of those emotions. I just didn't want to bring any more destruction into my life. And to tell you the truth, that's how I entered marriage. Passive, weak, what I view as weak. And I wouldn't recommend that. It makes the journey a little bit harder. But then God continued to draw me towards him. My wife and I moved to Houston from small town Oklahoma. We moved to Houston, joined a church, and they had this thing at the church, men's group called Men's Fraternity. And I was a man, so I might as well jump in. And a man named uh, Robert Lewis started this years ago. And, and what he does walking through this mentorship, this discipleship curriculum, is he starts to talk about things like father wounds. He goes back and has us unpack things that happened to us in our past, gives us categories for them, helps us process them. And that's, that was all brand new to me. I was carrying the guilt and the shame for everything that happened to me as if it was my fault, as if that's who I still was. And God, back in like 2006, 2007, just started kind of opening my eyes a little bit to show me there's a life out there that's different than the life that you've experienced. And then Jessica and I came to Watermark in 2009, and that's where the pace really picked up, where I got to see men who have been leading this church, men who have, and women who have been helping lead here at the porch, um, just be vulnerable, share their journey, show what it looks like to be a man of God, show what it looks like to be a husband of God, show what it looks like to be a, a businessman for God, and how to be whole, and how Jesus transforms us to make us whole. And that journey continues. So here's three things that I just kind of uh, learned along the way and continue to have to remind myself of daily. One, we're all still in process. If we've surrendered to Jesus, we've been justified, we are being sanctified, but the key there is are. We are still in process. Two, the grace of God shines most brightly in the middle of our mess. And then three, so important that we don't let what we can't explain negate what we absolutely know to be true. So what do we know to be true? Let's go back to God's word. Right there in the middle of all of the red, of all of the verses, is verse eight. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. See, this is where we get back to walking in the reality of the new us. All that stuff is still real, it's still going on, but we see the truth of God right there in the middle of those verses. The challenge is we have a spiritual reality and an experiential reality. The spiritual reality is what I just talked about. We're justified, we're being sanctified, and we will be glorified, and that's true. We also have an experiential reality where we must process our trauma and our sin. We need to allow Jesus to transform, to allow us to be whole, to be free in the life that he has for us. And so this word trauma, people weaponize it and misuse it, but it's real. And what trauma is, it's anything in our lives that we can experience that can result in physical or emotional harm. Trauma often involves sin, sin in us or sin in others, but not always. For example, my father dying, that just happened. Trauma can result from physical, sexual, emotional abuse, from abandonment, from rejection, and other things. 
but it's real. And the effects of trauma don't usually go away on their own. And the roots of trauma run deeper than we can ever imagine. You see, I was reading a book called The Body Keeps the Score, and then just two sentences here just talks about the, the challenge of trauma, and it relates to my journey. It says, the result of trauma and abuse can be confusion about whether one was a victim or a willing participant, which in turn leads to bewilderment about the difference between love and terror, pain and pleasure. And the only way to escape trauma and sin is to process the trauma and the sin. And there's three steps to doing that. First, we've gotta be honest with ourselves. We need to acknowledge what's happened to us. We need to acknowledge what's happened through us. Gotta be honest with ourselves. We gotta be honest with God and with others. God knows it anyways. I don't know why it's so hard to be honest with God. God knows it all. We have to start being honest with ourselves, honest with God and others. And then third, we've got to accept God's honesty because he's been honest with us. Start with the first point, honest with self. You've got to be honest with who we are really. And God doesn't leave us hanging. He tells us it right here in Ephesians 5.1. As beloved children, if we surrender to Jesus, that's who we are. That's not something we earn. That's not something we keep. That's who we are. We can't change that. But here's the thing. There are thieves in the world. And Jesus told us about that as he was revealing things about himself in John 10. Verses 10 and 11, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. See, here's the thing. We live amongst thieves. And I know you've experienced that as well. But here's the other thing. We are the thieves. We are the thieves. You see, we each bring sin into what started out as God's perfect creation. We suffer from the effects of sin. Sin in ourselves, sin in others. And Jesus sees us, he knows it all. And as he sees us, how does he view us? He sees us as his sheep, his sheep. His beloved children that we read about in Ephesians 5. He sees us and he did not abandon us. Jesus is the good shepherd who rescued us and is rescuing us because we're his beloved child. You are his beloved child. That trumps any feeling, thought, or emotion that you have right now because that is truth. Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his life for you. 
We see it here in John 10. We see it in Ephesians 5.2. Jesus gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering. We've got to be honest with ourselves about who we are. We have to be honest with God. We have to confess our sin. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. We've got to be honest with God about who we are, what we've done, what we're struggling with, and that we still need help. And God's given us one another to walk with each other through that. We also need to share our deepest struggles with God. Because here's the other reality. It's not It's not pretty. We need to be able to share things with God like, all right, God, I'm struggling with this. If you're all powerful, creator, all that, and you're all good, then where were you when I was six, when I was eight, when I was 15? Where were you, God, if you love me as much as you say you do? Why did I have to experience so much pain from myself and from others? You see, the thing is, God's big enough to handle it. And God will reveal what you need in his timing. But you've got to be honest with God about that struggle. Invite him in. So where was God? Well, this is where we get to point three. We have to accept God's honesty with us. We'll go back to John 10, a little bit further down, verses 27 through 29, where Jesus says, my sheep, they hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So where was Jesus when we were suffering trauma, sin, and pain? He was right there with us, through it all. He's right here with you right now. He has you. Paul clings to this truth in Romans 8, where he says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The thief comes in to steal, kill, and destroy, but God keeps us. God calls us in the midst of the trauma and the pain and the sin. After the trauma, the sin and the pain, God keeps us. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is big enough to help us process our sin, to bring our hidden shame to the light, to resurrect our lives from the dead, to help us be fully honest about who we are without him. And he reminds us that we're never without him. If Jesus is your Lord, then you're his beloved child. And this is my role here tonight, is first just to remind you of your new identity. 
Let me remind you about what's true tonight from Ephesians 5. You are God's beloved child, Ephesians 5.1. You are light in the Lord, verse 8. You're a child of light, also in verse 8. Christ shines on you, in verse 14. You see, life, light, wholeness, freedom is yours tonight in Jesus Christ. And wherever you're at, you can continue to walk in increasing wholeness, freedom, life, and joy in Jesus Christ. You're not alone as you process your past of sin, trauma, and pain. You're not alone with whatever it is that you're walking through today. So my question to you as we get close to wrapping up is, what do you need to bring to the light tonight? What are your next steps in being honest with yourself and honest with God and others? You see, whenever I read through those verses, a couple of them, a couple of the phrases in red, one of them said specifically, outsider. And there are some here tonight who should feel like an outsider. Because the truth is, Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says that the penalty for sin is death. And without Jesus, that's where we all end up. That's what we all deserve. Separated from God, living in the consequences of our anger, rebellion, and rejection of God. But Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if we believe that Jesus is Lord and confess that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So there is an opportunity tonight if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've come to gatherings like this and conformed and fit in, but never trusted Jesus with your life, let tonight be the night. If anyone is an outsider right now from the grace of Jesus Christ, it's only because you're choosing to be. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is calling you to him tonight. Take that step. Pray right now, Lord, save me. I surrender. Come down afterwards, and there will be people down here who can help you with next steps. You're not alone, but take that step now. If you have questions, come down here afterwards, and we'll stay as long as we need to to talk through it all. You're not alone. Take that step. Respond to Jesus. Regardless of where you are, what's your next step in being honest with yourself and honest with God? Is it to start Regen, which happens here every Monday night, which is a place to unpack, dig in, see what's there under those layers, and walk through it with other people who are also doing the same thing? Make that commitment tonight. If that's your next step, tell somebody. Hey, that somebody might even come with you next Monday to make it easier to walk through those doors, but don't, don't ignore the spirit leading you to respond tonight. For women, if you've suffered abuse, is your next step to come to Courageous Hope, which happens here at Watermark. It's a group of women who have walked through many of the same things, who have experienced trauma and abuse, and they're ready to listen to your story and to walk with you. 
Or if you're a man who has suffered abuse, we have men, which is the same thing for guys, to be able to walk through, unpack those feelings, the things that are still there that we can't get rid of. Where you can come and be welcome, loved, heard, and supported by other people who know what you're walking through. You see, they love you so much, the men and women leading those ministries, that they're here tonight. They didn't want you to have to take the next step and come on a different night of the week. They will be down front to help you with next steps tonight. So if that is your next step, respond to the Spirit and come down here tonight. Your next step might be to get into a community group. To get around friends who aren't your old college buddies or your drinking buddies, but get around people that will remind you of what's true, that will encourage you, that will set an example, draw you into things that bring life and not continue to draw you back towards the things that bring death. Whatever it is for you, take that next step. Take it tonight. So there's just a couple encouragements that I wanna give you as we go from here. Because here's what happens, is sometimes we take a step out into the hard, and it's hard. And so then we allow ourselves to fall back into the comfortable, even though it brings pain and suffering with it. So don't, we can't fake it till we make it. Don't focus on the outward, let the spirit work on the inward. It'll be messy, it'll be awesome. There's life, freedom, hope, where the Spirit will lead you through that. Two, don't demand immediate results. Latest part of my journey has been the last 20 years and it hasn't been a straight line. Sometimes it's messy. Don't expect straight line results, but Jesus has you. Don't expect immediate results. It'll take longer than you imagine a lot of times. Don't earn God's favor. Don't try to prove that you're a beloved child of God. Just receive it. But here's a couple things we do need to do. We need to immerse ourselves in the spirit as the spirit leads you, as the spirit leads you tonight, just follow the spirit. Immerse yourself in God's word. God has given us everything we need to know for life and godliness, everything that the spirit will use to transform us to walk into that life and that freedom that we're talking about tonight. And do immerse yourselves in believers, the men and women God has placed around you to walk with on this journey. Do stretch yourself, find running partners, find people that will encourage you, challenge you, hold you accountable. And this one's really important. Do give yourself grace. If Jesus can give you grace and walk with you, you should be able to give yourself grace. If the change doesn't happen fast enough, if it's messier than you want it to be, if it's really, really uncomfortable and everything in you is saying run, give yourself grace. We are only whole once we find our wholeness in Christ. And your wholeness in Christ matters more than anything else in your life, more than your job, more than your tests, more than your salary, more than your spouse, your future spouse, anything else that's on your mind tonight pales in comparison to your wholeness in Christ. We're talking about eternity that it starts now, the life that we get to live with Jesus. And we're not alone. So it doesn't matter who you are. We're all in process. It doesn't matter if you're the, this is your first time here, first time tuning in. It doesn't matter if you're a porch leader who have been coming for a while and you're discipling and leading others. And frankly, it doesn't matter if you're an elder, if you're a pastor, we're all in process. And just as an example, um, Better Man is kind of like a new version of men's fraternity that uh, man in our body paired up to 
developed with Robert Lewis, and we have a couple groups going through it here at Watermark, and I was facilitating a table this summer, a group of men, awesome men, but the Spirit was doing work in my heart too. And so what happened, we're going through this stuff, talking about dad wounds, talking about our past, talking about what is a godly man, and I just realized there's some stuff I still need to do business with. You see, what happens is we have those wounds that we hide, the wounds that we don't process, and they fester, and they generate poison. And that poison, Satan uses just to seep into us, right? I've had the hand wound that got infected, I didn't go to the doctor, and the veins will just start turning blue. And that's what this thing felt like. And this stuff happened in elementary school, things that happened to me, things that I had done. In the times when Satan would afflict me the most, I would be sitting where y'all were, praising, having a sweet moment with God, and Satan would just inject me with some of that poison. If everybody just knew who you really were, that secret you're gonna take to the grave, you're not who you say you are. You're not who Jesus says you are. And if we hide it, if we cover it up, that infection is free just to seep into us. And I felt the Spirit calling me this summer and the Spirit brought it about where I was talking to my wife late one night in August and I just started sharing. I didn't intend to, it just started bubbling out with tears, all in the mess. I shared more about the past abuse. I shared more about the stuff that I thought I was gonna take to the grave. I feared rejection. I feared the weakness. And you know what the one thing she said was? The first thing, thanks for letting me in. Thanks for trusting me with this and we're in it together. And that's how Jesus walks with it. I got to see the tangible grace and love of God experienced through the words of my wife just two and a half months ago. Jesus keeps us, he walks with us, and we'll be here with you as long as we need to tonight. You are not alone. So what step is God calling you to take here tonight? Know that no matter what you're feeling or experiencing right now, God has you in his hands. And I'll close with these words. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. And I would ask you to stand now. Feel free to listen to this song, sing this song, pray this song and respond as the Spirit continues to speak to you tonight.